You're listening to the Arts in Isolation podcast, brought to you by Asia House. Welcome, everybody. I'm Juan de Lara, Cultural Program Manager at Asia House. And as usual, I want to start thanking the Baraka Trust and the Altajir Trust and the Alhan Trust for Culture for making this segment of Arts in Isolation possible. Today, we have a rather unique treat for all of you. A new format, a story, a tale, to inspire us and to make us reflect upon our role in the community and what collaboration actually means. And we have the most evocative storyteller, Ali al Sukhbi, to take us with her on this journey. Alia is an extremely dynamic BAFTA-nominated artist, educator, and cultural producer. Her practice is based on storytelling techniques and traditions, and as well as performing arts. She creates and also produces cultural events. She's also the head of Global Learning London and is currently undergoing the Clore Fellowship Program, which seeks to develop the next generation of leaders in the cultural industries. So without further delay, we now all immerse ourselves into the world of tales and fables. It is said that in a sultanate ruled by a great sultan, there lived two fine artists whose works were renowned across the land. One was from the east and the other from the west. One was a sculptor with fingers green for hard materials, such that she could breathe life into a rock by carving into it the minutest details of a fingernail, the branch of a tree with the detail of an eyelash, a block of marble with the veins of a leaf, a pane of glass with the psychedelic details of a butterfly's wings. The other artist was a painter whose sharp eye and insurpassable knowledge of colour combinations drew such depth and layers in a painting using the finest pixelation with the smallest of brushes, with the slightest suggestion of movement that could bring a two-dimensional scene to life. They were the finest artists in the land, and they were both consumed with pride. The two often wrung out their dirty laundry in public, where their arguments over whose art was greater rang out louder than the call to prayers. And these arguments were witnessed by the townspeople with the greatest delight, such that they often intentionally orchestrated their encounter. It was not uncommon, for example, for the two artists to run into one another in the town square. At such encounters, the two artists would eye one another with silent vitriol, and like two caged tigers pacing around one another, the scene would play out a little something like this. I saw your last painting, one would say. Not bad for an amateur. Really, the other would reply. I really like your work too. And don't worry, beauty isn't everything. In fact, in the case of your work, 
It isn't anything. Oh, lo, lo, lo. Did anyone suggest that your work come with a caution? Danger of distress due to pathetic quality of art? How dare you say that? Superior excellence is mine. Hey, I tell you what. When I want to kill myself, I'll call on you so I can jump from your ego down to your skin. I have skill you could only dream of. Dream of? In my worst nightmares. And so the two would quarrel day in, day out, both engulfed by their egos, their works muddied by their pride. Until the day came when the two artists were summoned, along with their egos, into the Sultan's palace. You are my favorite artists, said the Sultan. But I fear you have brought both the palace and your talents into disrepute with your bickering. I have consulted my viziers, and we have decided to put you both to the test to see which of you two is making the better claim. You will be given the great hall for three days, and you are allowed to order whatever material you deem necessary for your work. Three days, no more, no less, at the end of which the greatest artist shall be declared, and the other must leave my kingdom. At once, the artists were escorted to the great hall, where a curtain was drawn between them and the competition began. Now here's the funny thing. The painter had ordered all manner of colours and shades, both oil and water-based, as well as brushes of a variety of thickness and thinness and much more, which were duly provided. Meanwhile, all the sculptor ordered was a sandpaper and a chisel. On the first night, hours passed, and neither of the artists emerged from their spaces. In the small hours of the night, the servants could hear the brushstrokes of the painter working without respite. Ah, how beautiful! I am a genius! Green, more green! Meanwhile, the only sound that could be heard emerging from the sculptor's side of the hall was the occasional scratch and brush. Then the shuffling of her feet as she paced up and down. Which was strange, because normally when the sculptor was at work, the whole town was kept awake with her chiseling and banging and knocking and grinding. Word spread that the sculptor was blocked and that no work was coming out of her side of the hall. At dawn, when they were offered breakfast, the painter barely cracked his door open, keeping himself and his creations hidden from the prying eyes of the servants. I'm famished, he said. Bring me hummus and balila and manaish and fresh kobes and labne and zaitun and jibnim chamshale and jibnim jiddale. I have the appetite of a lion. The sculptor, on the other hand, kept her door closed and mumbled through it that she wanted no food. 
something was obviously not right at the sculptor's end. The second night passed in a similar fashion, with the painter's brush strokes waxing and waning, whilst only the shuffling of feet could be heard from the sculptor's side, with the occasional scratch and brush. Again, neither slept, and in the morning the painter swung his door open and then closed it again from the prying eyes and said, I can eat a horse, but don't get me a horse. Get me, get me Bluchie, and Fasulia, and Bjadra, and Kafta, and Kibbe, and Mansaf, and Kusablaban, and Kusamhshi, but don't get me a horse. Again, the sculptor announced behind closed doors that she desired no food. The rumors must have been true. It was only on the third night that the sculptor's side of the hall finally came to life, with the frantic chiseling and scratching and grinding she was famous for, furiously ringing straight through the night and keeping all the townspeople awake till dawn. And with the first crack of light, the townspeople readied themselves, donning their finest clothing for the festivities were bound to be great. The people of the town joined the sultan himself, wringing their hands in anticipation of the dazzling pieces of work they were to witness, at least on the painter's side. The door to the painter's side of the hall was opened. The people filed in, and murmurs of approval filled his side of the hall and gradually crescendoed into whoops and thunderous applause for his exquisite combination of color demonstrated such a level of mastery. There was a depth and a movement that gave the illusion that the whole room was throbbing with life. Red dominated the walls, with hints of yellow and green creating dizzying whirlpools, cushions of comfort inviting the onlooker to sink into the depths of layers upon layers of pleasure. Everybody agreed that it would be impossible to outdo the skill of the painter. So they prepared themselves for disappointment and pity. Then the curtain was drawn to reveal the work of the sculptor. And the townspeople were almost robbed of understanding for the beauty of her work. The sculptor had burnished and scrubbed the walls, the floors and the ceiling so that they became bright and pure like mirrors. And that was a sight that made the heart skip a beat. For reflected everywhere on the walls, floors and ceilings were the works of the painter but with more brightness, greater splendor and an immeasurable depth. If the painter's side of the hall made you want to sink into its layers, the sculptor's side made you want to get lost in its folds. After that, the Sultan retreated into his private quarter with his advisors to come to a decision, and the townspeople busied themselves with food and drink. The painter found his moment, and like an arrow sped straight to the sculptor to ask her how and when she fathomed this genius idea. Well, we are all artists in our spirit, she said. I became derailed, as we all do, when I began to compete with you. 
Jealousy, avarice and hatred consumed my world and so I had to stop, to sit in silence and reflect before I recommenced what I was to do. I polished and burnished my own outlook before I did the same to these walls, ceilings and floors. That pure mirror that I devised is the heart which reflects the beauty it sees in the world. Excuse me for interrupting, great sculptor, said the painter, with all humility. Are you saying that my work is beautiful? It is beyond beautiful, said the sculptor, and without this beauty, I could never have reflected it in the way that I did. From today, I choose to see the best in you and your work. I choose to both project and internalize the beauty that your work evokes in me. Yes, 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 said the painter. <laughs> and it is because you knew, you trusted without a doubt, that my work would be beautiful beyond measure, that you scrubbed the walls as you did. Indeed, said the sculptor. I trusted that your work would be breathtaking. I expected nothing less. Our quarrels are over, my friend. Of course our quarrels are over, said the painter, because you have just admitted with the bone of your tongue that all you did was reflect the beauty of my work, and that is my proof that it is I who is the greater artist. And with that, the painter gathered his robes and left the sultanate, never to be seen or heard of again. But, ladies and gentlemen, the artwork in the Great Hall remains, and with it the question, who is the greater artist? The one with the greater skill, or the one who creates spaces for reflection? Wonderful as usual, Alia. Such a fantastic story for us to reflect. I remember the other day I was speaking with you and you mentioned that you have adapted and transformed this story a little bit. But do we know where this tale was originated? So the story in terms of its origins, so some people will tell you this is a story from ancient Greece and some people will tell you this is a Rumi tale. Uh, what we do know about stories is that they travel So they'll have originated in one place, and then you'll find the same story in various versions almost across the globe. Certainly in certain regions, you'll, see, you'll find the same story in different versions. So which one is the, the true version, fountain of the story? I'm not quite sure. At the end, you leave an open question. And what is the moral of the story? What made you select this story in particular? Part of the reason I really enjoy telling this story is because we live in an increasingly competitive, individualistic, self-serving world. Um, and our relationships with each other and with the world uh, are extractive. And it seems to me and to so many people that, that we really need to start finding our spirit of collaboration again our spirit of interdependence, our knowledge that we're nothing without each other. So in that sense, it's a story about not just finding the light within yourself, but finding the light out in the world and within each other as well and connecting on that level, even if it's sometimes at your own expense. 
So it's pushing the ego aside and uh, focusing on the other and the community. I mean, imagine if we lived in a world where everybody placed everybody else first. We'd all be winners, you know, we'd all be winners anyway. Now, this is a, this is idealistic, and I am a self-confessed dreamer, but uh, but it is a story that says, uh, when I see the beauty in others, something even more beautiful than I could have ever created on my own emerges. Certainly. So you feel that this story is now more relevant than ever? This story, I think, is quite relevant to what the world is going through at the moment. These are particularly difficult, challenging Uh, some would go so far as to say dark times. And in situations like that, sometimes we need to find the light within us um, and to be able to, as we're looking out into the world, shine that light that we find within us out into it. So it's a story about finding this light in uh, moments of darkness and confusion and uncertainty and making a decision that Uh, that is a positive one against the odds. So that's that's why I chose it. And um, in terms of uh, the moral, if you like, uh, of the story, again, it is this idea of how do you find your best self at the crunch point, at a point when, you know, your, your very survival is at question or the survival of your loved ones or your community. What choices do you make, you know? So... In that sense, it's a story that is relevant to our times. Now, you'll have noticed that what I have done with the story is that I chose to not give it an ending, a closure, but rather open it up as a, as a question. And that's a particular form or approach that I like to use with storytelling, which is to use stories as spaces for reflection and thinking and questioning and answer finding, if you like, as uh, uh, as Uh, not not an artist telling uh, an audience, but an artist uh, co-creating with their audience. So one of the reasons we wanted to invite you here today was because of the importance, for us, the importance of preserving and tangible heritage, these, these oral traditions. And as a practitioner yourself, I wonder, how, how do you envision and how do you think the art of storytelling is going to survive the advent of digital platforms like Netflix and TV, Prime? Mm, that is the golden question, isn't it? There is something about oral storytelling, about um, images not being provided to you, but images that you have to draw from your own imagination. And that's such an important word these days, imagination. The ability to see beyond the systems that are, or the realities that we currently live in. The ability to expand beyond what is currently before us. So there is something about exercising the imagination, the fantasy muscle, especially when we find ourselves in situations where there's such huge conflict and um, in enormous obstacles, whether it's climate change, whether it's nationalism, whether it's the, the inability to imagine what a future might be. It just feels like this is a muscle we don't exercise enough. If we can extend beyond what is here, what is in front of our eyes, what we are able to see and touch and hear and use our imagination to escape beyond that. That seems to be one of 
the best ways to be able in, to imagine solutions that today we can't even begin to fathom. So how can it survive the advent of Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of those, uh, you know, wonderful, wonderful storytelling platforms? Essentially, I don't know how it can survive them, but I have to say that I think that it must survive alongside them. It must, because there is something about us being able to create our own images and our own sounds and our own pictures without them being provided for us. It's probably very similar to reading a book which champions our imagination. And I think it's somehow what we were trying to do also here today is, is to evoke and, uh, and bring this, this art to the fore. I, I thank you so much, Alia, for this wonderful opportunity to to delight us with this alluring story, um, which I invite everybody to reflect upon. And because I haven't done it a couple of times, also to listen to it again and to share it, of course. Thank you so much for sharing this wonderful piece of art with us. I wish you the best of luck with the development of your fellowship. And of course, as well with further stories, I hope that we can hear many more in the upcoming future. I do hope that when Asia House is able to open its door to the public, that you're able to join us for our Converging Path series. Yeah, I would love that. One day, one day, Juan. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Truly, this has been our, our privilege. And thank you again. And thank you, all of you who listen to us every week on Wednesdays when we publish some new content. As We wanted to surprise you this week with a story. We thought it was a good time for, for it. And stay tuned for next week. We will bring to you a Game of Thrones. And certainly, if you haven't done so, please do subscribe to our newsletter, check regularly our website and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hope to see you next week. Until then, stay safe and take care. You were listening to the Arts in Isolation podcast, brought to you by Asia House. For more information, please visit our website, asiahousearts.org.